You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to help you plan that unbelievable travel experience. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. What's up, guys? Kel Charles Megan Murray here, and you are listening to Girls Talking Boys in partnership with SB Nation. As always, hello. Happy Friday, y'all. The dynamic duo is back together, and uh, it, it's a lovely Friday, and we are joined by um, <laughs> none other than our favorite guest, probably. He might be the most, other than Dave, he's probably been on here the most. John Mishota of The Athletic, a.k.a. Johnny Matches with the hot takes. Ayo. What's up? What's up? <laughs> Thanks for having me on. You know what? We're going to make that happen, the Johnny <laughs> Yeah, we are. Like, I feel like we, you come on so often, John. Like, we should probably have, like, your own intro. You know, if I was, if I decided to take enough time to edit the show like a professional, which, full disclosure, I'm not going to, um, I would, you know, make a really beautiful intro for you. So, <laughs> Just imagine that we're dropping that in there. There's like a really high production quality to this show. I like it. Yeah. This is fine though. You don't need to do all that. Yeah, you're right. It's more on brand for us. <laughs> right. Um, how you been, my friend? I, I, uh, you texted me the other day after the Jayhawks won. So thank you for that. Um, I am like the most, uh, half KU fan of all time. You know, I've watched maybe three games this year, but trust me, I will be good for an all caps meltdown on Twitter, you know, mid, mid game. Um, it's fine. You on the other hand are at least like a genuine real fan, like went to the final four. I, I think people were your Duke fan for those of the people who don't know, I think people were, um, kind of appalled by my takes that I was genuinely sad to see coach K's career end. And in that manner too, I'm like, I actually like, I like UNC. Like I have never had a problem with Roy Williams. Like I'm a KU fan. Like obviously we know the history of, of Roy and Kansas. And I, you know, it didn't bother me to, to see him go somewhere else. I don't like hate him. I don't hate Duke, even though I'm a KU fan. I hate Calipari because like, who doesn't hate Calipari? But then I found out that might, he might do some really great things for, you know, up and coming coaches. So ignore that take either way. Um, what was, what was that like? Like, how are you doing? Like, how are you feeling? Not well. I mean, I've gotten over it, but like, uh, I don't like, I was telling you guys before we started recording, I don't really put out there a ton of like, you know, in, in interviews like this and stuff I'll talk about, but I don't tweet very much about Duke. I, I mean, I'll, if there's something that happens, I'll hit like, like on a tweet or something, but I'm not going to like tweet a bunch of stuff because I know that there's such a lightning rod and people are like, Oh, I can't believe you don't like you were like Duke or whatever. And that's fine. My mom's maiden name is Shashevsky. I just grew up a Duke fan when I was like a, a little kid. And it, it was just one of these things where 
like anytime, like they've been in the final four that I've been old enough where I can go. Like I wasn't able to go like in the nineties or in early two thousands, I didn't have the money to go and I wouldn't be able to go on my own. So, uh, I've been to the last two that when they won it all, um, in 2010 and 2015, both were in Indy. And so even if it wasn't coach K's last year, I was going to go to the final four. And so with it being in new Orleans, it was perfect. Cause then I could just drive. And yeah. so I rented a car and I drove, but one thing that sucked is that it was really tough to get a hotel anywhere close. And so I could have stayed in Metairie, but even in Metairie, I mean, we're talking like four or 500 bucks a night for just what? like average hotels. Oh yeah. So I ended up staying out in Baton Rouge and I uh, drove in each day. Yeah. I was about um, to make a joke that you were yeah. going to stay in back. You should have stayed with Dave's parents. Yeah, no, I stayed in Baton Rouge and I drove in um, on Friday and then drove in, drove into New Orleans on Saturday. I went by myself. I don't like have another hardcore like Duke fan friend that I have a buddy that's a Duke fan that lives in Michigan. But uh, so I went by myself and I was going to stay all weekend. But then when they lost, I was like, I'm, I couldn't even bear to watch North Carolina play in the national championship game. I was like, so I drove home the next day. But uh, yeah. it's funny because, you know, I'm not a Cowboys fan, but obviously like I'm a fan first of sports. That's why I do the job that I do. Not every writer's like that. A lot of writers just love the art of writing and storytelling and that I like that, but not as much as being a sports fan. And I know a lot of Cowboys fans listening to this will be able to relate to like when I'm watching that game, like keep in mind, I paid 500 bucks for my ticket and I was way up in the nosebleeds. Okay. Yeah. Sitting by a super annoying Duke fan who I thought sitting by another Duke fan is going to be fine. Super annoying. Didn't like the mojo of it at all. I was like, so the entire second half, I went to like a standing room only area, like by myself. I was like, I don't want to be really around anybody hoping that I would change, you know, the luck uh, was changed. I wore three or four different shirts that I wear for good luck. It was changing it all. Like I, long story short, what I'm getting to for any, any fan listening to this, like it's crazy that when you're a fan of sports and like you get to these games that mean so much to you. And I can honestly tell you not one minute of that game did I enjoy there was never a big enough lead where you kind of enjoyed it. It was back and forth the entire time going down to like the final minute. Like I was standing next to this Kansas fan and like in the last minute and a half, two minutes, he kept like turning to me. He's like, are you okay? You're going to make it. And I'm just like, I don't think so. Like, I don't like, I don't know if I can make this. This is just excruciating just because of how close the game was and just the meaning behind it and all that. And so it was just funny. Cause it's like, you pay that money, you put in all that time and you're just like, the part that you paid for, I didn't even enjoy it at all because it was just like, I was going to enjoy it if they won. I'd enjoy it after probably enjoyed on bourbon street, but I was just like, man, it was just like you, you invest all that time. And here's the thing, like another thing I, I, I want to mention too, like going back to like, when you're a fan of like, like a team like Duke, who I know this is going to sound arrogant, but like when they're good all the time, you stay up with everything they're doing all the time. If you're a fan of a team that kind of falls off, there's these, like I'm a, I'm a big Pistons fan. Like yeah, it's great when they're winning, but there's been like 15 years of them just being awful. You don't follow it as closely, but when the team's good every single year, you always keep up with it. And so it's like the whole end of the Coach K thing. And I totally get that people don't like him. That's fine. But it just this is Yeah, this goes back to like me in like middle school and high school and friends of mine, like playing basketball, always like, you know, pretending to be Duke players, liking Duke and stuff like that. Like it just goes deeper than the whole like, oh, front runner, jump on the bandwagon. Like, cool, you can say it. I don't care, you, but you don't get it. You don't get like how I'm a fan because I can tell you this right now, I don't know many other college basketball fans that are obsessed with college basketball like the way I am. But I just try and keep it to myself because I know like when you're, like I said, when you like Duke, people are like, oh, I don't want to hear it. Duke's good all the time, whatever. Yeah, like you hate us to Jane us. I actually do not understand the, the Coach K hate because he's been one of the pillars and like a, like a shining example for the sport since he like jumped in the arena there's guys like i understand like if you hate rick patino like i get it 
but like people like coach K, I'm like, you just hate him because he's good. Like well, that's, he, a, that's you know, a big like, part just, of it. I but can't get behind that. Yeah, no, there's, that's a big part of it. There's also, you know, there, you don't get all the players that he gets that are also who he's competing with. Like, see, this is the thing, like, like, I don't know. You guys probably never been to Duke. I wouldn't expect you to be in. I actually so, have. I okay. toured Duke when I was uh, coming out of high school. Okay. Beautiful so kid. it's like, it's, it's an, the only thing it's there for. Well, obviously, well, I shouldn't say only thing. Cause it's obviously elite academically, but it's, it's an NBA factory. And that's why it's all these one and dones. And so it's like, it's eight miles away from UNC. They're not even recruiting the same guys UNC does. They recruit the guys that Kentucky does. It's the one and done players. You walk around the campus, you're like, why would these kids want to go here? But it's because it's this NBA factory. We're going to do one and done. We're out, whatever. So to get those players, Coach K has to have a little Calipari to him. He just doesn't show it the yeah. way that Calipari does. But you won't get those guys if you don't have some Calipari to you. So I get it. And, and there's people that, you know, I mean, he loves the attention. He doesn't shy away. From, I mean, he did a farewell tour. How many coaches would sit there and say that before the final year? And to me personally, I, I think that that kind of came back and haunted them because that team was too young to take on the pressure of this being Co- Coach K's final. He needed a more veteran team to be going into this whole farewell tour. Uh, I mean, it just, that's just my own opinion, but no, I, he does things that I get. I get why people, but you're right too, though. When you win, people generally don't like you. Yeah. I thought it was interesting too. Like you guys know I'm in grad school and we, we actually studied him for a, a minute when we were talking about leadership styles. And I had no idea that he was, even though I was a big college basketball fan growing up, like I didn't have the historical knowledge that he was part of the Bobby Knight coaching tree. And that's just a very interesting, complete that's just an interesting dynamic. Like they couldn't be more different in their styles, but for your point, like I'm sure that he learned some of the Bobby Knight ways in, you know, some of the more undercover moments that aren't shown externally, at least. Yeah. He's got a military background and then you go from West point and, you know, I mean, you're at West point with Bob Knight and then you go and he was on his uh, coaching staff in Indiana for a year. I mean, I think, yeah, that's probably the best way to put it. He was able to take some of the good, you know, the good things from Bob Knight and then probably, you know, you know, putting his hands on kids, doing things like that, you know, that Bob Knight was doing, he, he knew to draw the line before it went that far. Um, so yeah, he probably took the good and probably tried to keep some of the bad away. That, that's a good way to put it. Yeah. Yeah. That's to say a uh, super sidebar story. Like I, but my high school boyfriend was six um, eleven, and he was recruited obviously to play basketball and he ended up playing at Texas tech, but he was so excited to go play for Bobby Knight. And then like he committed and he was going and then literally he gets there and Bobby's like, I'm out. And Pat Knight comes and takes over. Oh, I, was like, wow. I was like, could you imagine just going to play for what you think is like a historic coach? And then he's like, oh, my son's going to take over now. Like, peace out. I'm out. Goodbye. Yeah. I mean, especially at that time, at time, at that time, it would really suck. I'll be honest with you. That would, that would really suck today. I really wouldn't care that much. Cause I'd be like the way that the way that you can transfer now, it's not like that used to be. I mean, you can literally yeah. be like, all right, fine. I'm opening my recruitment back up. I'll go talk to this school. I'll talk to somebody else. They'll make room for me, you know, especially if he, I mean, he's good enough to play at Texas tech. Uh, but at that time, yeah, that definitely had to suck. Yeah. Anyways. Well, um, speaking of players, I want to dive into, uh, we'll, we'll go move into the NFL now Cowboys specifically, obviously draft coming up in a few weeks. So, um, this is now the time when I personally start to dive in, uh, and, I'd love to get some names from you on players to watch. So you had a mock draft uh, a couple days ago on March 30th on the athletic.com. You guys aren't subscribed. Make sure you are subscribed, especially this time of year. There's so much good information on your site. Um, You know, you had a great conversation with Bob Sturm the other day that I think is also up online as well. And it's very valuable. And then not to mention the beast from Dane Brugler. 
that's always a fun one too. I go full nerd and, and print it out and like tab everything. I mean, it's just, it's, it's a fun time of year. So, um, break it down for us. I'd love to get your thoughts on how you think the Cowboys are going to approach this draft. I think we know at this point, there are things that matter to them or at least should matter to them in terms of needs. We know like why receiver could make some sense. Uh, O-line could make some sense. You, you might even look on the defensive side of things because depending on how they utilize Micah Parsons. Um, so in the loss of, of Randy Gregory, so, you know, where's your head at in terms of guys they should be looking at? Well, for them, I mean, being at 24, I just think they're too far back to get one of like the elite edge rushers. So for me personally, unless they trade up, I've kind of taken that out of my mind. Um, cause another, uh, something that really hurt them in that sense, there's two different things. One is that this is just an awful quarterback draft. So you're not going to have any, a lot of quarterbacks being taken in front to push good players back. And then the other was at Michigan's pro day, uh, defensive end, David Ojabo, uh, tore his Achilles and he was going to be a top 20 edge rusher who maybe he would have been there for the Cowboys at 24, or maybe he would have pushed another edge rusher back to the Cowboys, but that didn't end up happening. So that hurt them. I just think 24 is just too far back. So that's where I'm focused. To, my focus is all on offensive line and wide receiver. It just it matches up with what, where the talent in this draft should be, where players should fall. And those are two huge needs. So in that mock draft that you're talking about, I ended up going with Kenyon green, the offensive guard out of Texas A&M because he just could fit in right away at left guard. It's a huge area of need. I mean, they lose Connor Williams, but even if you had Connor Williams coming back, the position needed to be upgraded. Kenyon green can step in right away, be a starter, be a very good starter and can upgrade the offensive line, which obviously wasn't that as good as it was supposed to be last year. I know that's kind of boring though, because I think people would more like, like the, you know, the big time wide receiver, you know, uh, Traylon Burks from Arkansas, you know, I mean, he's a big time playmaker and obviously Arkansas, there's a lot of Cowboys fans that like Arkansas and I'm sure yeah. that there's, yeah, they would love that. And I, and I get that. Um, but the one thing with wide receiver, I'll say is that it just, it's one of those positions where because of the way college football is now, there's just so many good wide receivers out there that can make the transition quickly and you don't have to use a first round pick. You can find good ones in the second, third, fourth round. Um, but, but unfortunately if you're the Cowboys and you want a guy like Traylon Burks or Chris Alave, you're going to have to do it at 24 so offensive line and wide receiver are, are the two areas where I feel like if they stay at 24, I feel like that's the most likely scenario of, of what they'll end up taking. I don't know about you, Meg, but I feel like I've, I've learned as a Cowboys fan. And I don't know if this is more of a, this generation of Cowboys fans when I started to really, really, really pay attention to the team, but I've learned to respect the offensive line and quite frankly, get excited for it. You know, you always hear about the great wall in the nineties. And, and then when you bring in the Cowboys start to really value it and use some high draft picks for guys like Travis Fredericks and Zach Martins. And, you know, we, we think that Lyle Collins probably would have been up there had he not had some of the issues that he had during the time that he was getting you know drafted. But either way, last year, when they pass up on the Rashawn Slater and then all the, 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 well, not even pass up, but like not even have opportunities for that with those guys. Um, everyone was losing their minds, you know, like it's, you're upset, like watching other teams, like grab the player that you want. And a lot of those were O linemen. Obviously you had those two corners. Um, but I, do you feel like that there's more of an excitement around O line? Cause I don't actually think that people would be upset if they went O line versus wide receiver, even if there was a pretty high talent in terms of wide receiver for the exact reason that you just said with there's, you know, there's depth in the draft, these guys that are coming out of college, it's a lot easier for them to transition into the role and make an impact immediately. I think the life cycle of wide receiver in the NFL is plays to just that 
you you know have a good enough quarterback that can you know learn learn your style and, and play well with you, you can jump in and make a pretty immediate impact. Yeah, I mean, offensive line isn't really the sexy pick. You know, I, I think people would like to have a good offensive line, but there's tons of teams that win without having all these first round offensive linemen. And I don't know that that's necessarily a Cowboys thing. That was a Jason Garrett thing. It's the same reason why they drafted Zeke at four and they gave Zeke that contract because that's the way Jason Garrett wanted the team to be built. He thought the best way for them to win is to have a, you know, an outstanding offensive line and a great running game. And to his credit, I believe that that was a big part of helping Dak's transition because if you're a young quarterback, there's two things you'd love to have, and it's a good offensive line and a good running game. So it helped Dak's transition from being a college quarterback to a pro quarterback in one year, immediately stepping in. Um, but at the same time, I don't get the sense that Mike McCarthy feels like you have to have all first round picks up there. So um, even I, even though I say I pick Kenyon Green for them, I don't think that this is going to be going forward uh, like a reboot of Jason Garrett building the offensive line where it's like, well, they're going to get Kenyon Green now, and then next year in the first round, they'll get a tackle to replace Tyron, and the year after that, they're going to take another first round. I don't see them doing it that way. I mean, the the Green Bay Packers drafting of offensive linemen starters that have gone on to make the Pro Bowl is incredible with how many good players they found in the fourth and fifth round on the offensive line. And you look at they the reason one of the reasons they moved on from Lyle is because they think so highly of Terrence Steele, who he was undrafted. So I don't think that this current coaching staff feels like you have to have five first round picks on the offensive line, but I think that they value it enough that, like I said, McCarthy had a lot of success with in the, in the middle rounds, but I mean, he still was drafting offensive linemen in the first round every, every few years. Yeah. I I'm laughing when you talk about green Bay and offensive line, like I, it would be kind of interesting to sit there and put together like a, a super team, if you will. Like if you let the Steelers like draft wide receivers and like the green Bay backers, like draft O line, like how that, what that ultimate, mega team makeup would be. Um, but I want to ask you a quick clarifying question too. When you're talking about these guys on the O-line, how important do you feel like position flex is? You know, obviously I don't think guard is the only need on that line. There's several positions that I think could either A, use reinforcement or B, an upgrade. So what about things like tackle? There's been conversations even around, you know, people still, and I'm not saying this from speaking to anyone internally, but I think that a lot of people are like, hey, I wouldn't even hate looking at a center like is, is, you know, is Biotish the answer. So what are your thoughts in, in the makeup of that player? Is it just, Hey, this is the best O lineman available at 24. So we're going to take him cause he's a guard. So it when you know, if I'm in at the combine talking to a scout or someone that's an expert far beyond me, they would, they would say that they believe that that Tyler Linderbaum is worth it at 24, the center. I personally want no part of drafting a center at 24. And I understand that people will say, Oh, well, look at Travis Frederick's first round pick. That's fine. I just don't put the value at center at that. I think you can get good centers in, in the third, fourth round. Uh, yeah. I think that there should be some competition brought in for Tyler Biotish, but I think that you can do that in, in later rounds. I know on some of their 30 visits, they have centers that aren't going to be, they're not first round pick guys or, you know, middle to later rounds. I think that's a more, a better uh, route to go by for that particular position. Now, the position flex. Absolutely. That's another reason why I like Kenyon green. I mean, he, he started at four different positions this past year for Texas a and now guards his, his best spot. And it's probably where you want to keep him at. But I mean, you guys saw this past year with the injuries and things like that, that can happen. You want a guy that can, yeah, even though he's not gonna be the best left tackle, you want a guy that could potentially go out there and play a game out there if you need him in a pinch, because here's the thing, you're only going to have eight, nine. And at the most, yeah, not even 10, you usually have eight or nine offensive linemen active on game days. So you're going to have to have some, position flex with some of these guys 
Um, and certainly I think that that helps you with Kenyon green, but that's the thing with center. Most of those centers don't have position flex. You're, you're a center or that's it. Like they don't, they're not moving Tyler Biotish if he doesn't work out at center to one of the guard spots it's center or that's it, you know? And yeah. I guess Linderbaum could possibly play guard, but from what I, people I've talked to feel like he's a little undersized for that, that centers a spot. So I know Cowboys fans are really hyped about that possibility because obviously Travis Frederick was very good here, but you know, the thing I've said before, I don't know, I'm not trying to be an asshole or anything, but if that was the answer, I, I, I just, I missed all the parades, I guess. I missed all the, all the championships <laughs> they were winning doing it that way. So I love sitting here listening to your show on the athletic. And when I first heard you say that I was like, Mashoda for the jugular, like <laughs> savage. Holds well, I, mean, I, I mean, going back to the thing I said earlier about, you know, me being a sports fan, like, yeah, I'm not a Cowboys fan, but I can also say, I mean, I, and you guys will understand this as well as anybody. Like I totally get the frustration from the fan base. This is the most frustrated the Cowboys fan base has been from my perspective in my 11 years of living down here. And, and deservedly so, because you sit there and you're just like, you have all the resources to be one of the best teams in the NFL. I'm not even sitting here saying like the Cowboys should have been to multiple, multiple Super Bowls since I've covered the team. No, but they should have made at least one deep playoff run. At least one is all I'm saying. And so I totally get where, I don't know if you guys are getting that sense too. I'm just, you oh, know, yeah. with social media and friends you talk to, but I totally get the frustration from Cowboys fans. Yeah, no, I definitely do as well. And I, I, I want to go back to a thing you, you said about position flex, because I think there's a school of thought and I want to get your opinion, y'all's opinion on this. You talk about, you know, the, the, the need for it or people value that, but there's another side of the ball too, where people say, Hey, you know, if you're, it's a, it's a jack of all trades, master of none type situation. So are these guys that come in with quote position flex, are they really just like average at multiple things? Or would you prefer someone who is really freaking good at one thing? Like, you know what I mean? Like what's the perfect mix in your mind? And do you think that's a fair depiction of people that can play multiple positions? Like obviously you're going to have your freaks like the Zach Martin who can do anything and do it well. Micah Parsons, same thing, but we all know those are few and far in between. So is position flex like really that valuable? Well, I think it is to a certain extent. If I'm drafting a guy at 24, that guy at 24 should be a monster at whatever given position is his key spot, but also can have the ability to move to other spots. And I'll just use Zach Martin as an example. And I'm not saying they're going to get Zach Martin at 24 because they're not. Uh, I mean, he's a Hall of Famer. So um, Zach Martin's best spot is right guard but Zach Martin can play every spot on the offensive line. If you absolutely needed him to, and he could do it at a solid level, not probably not as well as right guard, but he could do all. And I believe that you could get a really solid right guard, left guard, probably even right tackle. Kenyon green, I think would probably be solid. I think left guard is probably the best spot for him. And I think that's where he'd have the most success with the Cowboys. I think you can do any of those things. Now, when you get to the middle later rounds of the draft, I think I'd rather have a guy that's like really good at something as opposed to, Hey, he's just okay at all these spots. You know, I don't know. Like, I don't know if he's going to be really that good here or there, but he can kind of play a little bit of everything. If that's the case, then I'm not trying to really go after that guy. But if you're taking an offensive lineman at 24, he better be a monster at least one spot and have the ability because he's such a good player to play multiple positions if you absolutely need him to. Vacations can be tricky. You already know how to book flights and hotels, but now the only thing you're missing is, you know, the actual travel experience. Because is it really a vacation if you're just sitting around like you would at home? You need a tool to get the most out of your time away. That's where Viator steps in. 
you can book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Support for this show comes from Sylvan Learning. As a parent, you want your child to have every opportunity. But giving them the tools they need to tackle every challenge, that takes a team. Now more than ever, educational support tailored exactly to what your child needs can make all the difference. That's why parents have trusted Sylvan Learning for 45 years as the ultimate teammate in their child's educational journey, instilling in them a love for learning and a passion for reaching the next level. And Sylvan's Insight Assessment can identify gaps in learning and areas that could be of concern for your child. It's a 360-degree view into your child's learning that you can't find anywhere else and helps ensure that your child didn't miss something in school that might put them at a disadvantage in the future. And right now, it's the best price of the year at $29. Go to sylvan29.com to learn more and get your child's assessment for only $29. That's S-Y-L-V-A-N-29.com. So Zach Martin drafted 16th overall, 2014 draft. You mentioned he's, you know, Hall of Famer. I know this is so subjective and solely for the sake of of fodder. (laughs) So humor me for a minute. Do y'all think there's like a cutoff or a threshold, if you will, when you're talking, you know, draft picks uh, where they are Hall of Famers and then kind of, like you said, 24, you're not really expecting that level of production. And I know you're going to find the guys like I get it, like the Tom Brady, like whatever. Right. We know it's not just a clean cut type of thing. But do you feel like there's a threshold that once you pass that pick in the draft, like there's just a drop in quality? I think every draft's different. Um, You know, I would typically say like, you know, you judge like off the top 100 players, but even, you know, in, in every given draft there, maybe not even be a top 100 that you think is that great. You might only think it's like, you know, 50, whatever. But I mean, even with the teams, you know, I mean, there's 32 first round picks, like they're not giving out 32 first round grades. They think like maybe about 20 guys are first round type talents, you know, and uh, some drafts are really loaded. Maybe it gets to 25. There's never 32 first round grades that they're giving out. So, I mean, generally speaking, yeah, I mean, usually it's going to be your first round picks. I would think that if you went back through history, that's where your most hall of famers are found. But my thing is like, when you mentioned Tom Brady though, is I just think that there's a lot that you're really not going to know about a guy until he's in your building, you know? And that's, that's the thing. Like you can only know so much from this draft process and interviewing people and things like that. And then you get a guy who, and it might be a guy that hasn't even shown this part of him is, is himself until he gets to the NFL and all of a sudden turns into this big time pro. And uh, like, just as, as an example, um, 
you know, that's the type of stuff I've heard about behind the scenes about Terrence Steele is that the way Terrence Steele carries himself, like he's not going to probably blow you away individually with any of like his drills or anything like that, but he carries himself like a pro. And because of that, he steadily continues to improve and improve and improve. And is just, is very business-like, you know, there's not a lot of distractions. He just, he knows what he's got to do. You know, first guy in last guy to leave, uh, you know, trying to be a sponge around Zach Martin, things like that. Like, I guess what I'm getting at is on a 30 visit, I'll say, I'm going to, I'm going to tell you that on the 30 visit, I'm going to do all that stuff. Mm -hmm. But once, once it, it gets down to, you know, a Wednesday, this time of year, when it's like, yeah, some guys in the weight room, some guys aren't, some guys are, you know, hanging out at home. Are you going to be there? You know, like you say, you said at your 30 visit, you were going to be there all the time. How come you're not there all the time? You know? So it's like actions speak louder than words, but if it was such an exact science, there wouldn't be draft bus, you know, all the top players would all go in the first round and whatnot. But yeah. I think there's a certain professionalism that you just really don't know for sure. You can, you can only count on it so much and bank on it so much, but you're never really going to know it until you actually that players with you. That's like the Jason Garrett, like the right type of guy. Yeah. I mean, but also with that, I think you need a balance. I think you also need some guys that are going to kind of might be not the right kind of guy, but are kind of like, you know, they do things their own way and kind of stir stuff up. Like, um, you know, I'm not a huge Antonio Brown fan, but Antonio Brown hasn't been on many bad teams. I mean, when Antonio Brown's on your team, you're usually pretty good. So I think you need a mix. I don't think you can have, you know, <laughs> 10, probably not even five, maybe not even three or two Antonio Browns, but it's nice to have a couple of those guys on your team to kind of, you know, yeah. mix it up. You can't just have everybody. It just, it's, it, you can't do that in football. There's too many players involved. Meg, are you going to be excited? I, if I had to wager, I would imagine there's a strong chance that you and I are watching the draft together. Um, and I remember watching CD Lamb get drafted, and we both, you know, obviously had a couple beverages, a uh, couple glasses of vino, and we're very excited. Um, are you going to be as excited if they draft O line, or are you are you still reeling from the Amari loss and you're going full wide receiver here? Uh, no, I mean, there's no chance that I would be upset about getting an O-lineman. Um, I wanted Rashawn Slater last year, and that would have gotten me out of my seat, and uh, Micah Parsons did not at the time. Look <laughs> at me now. Um, but, I mean, no, like, of course, that's just a smart pick there, um, especially with the talent that they have um, in this draft. So, yeah, I mean, I think you can look – you can talk to most – like Dallas fans that are like, you know, actually listening to podcasts like this and stuff like that. And their, um, their first inclination is going to be, um, since we're at 24 O-line, but like, if we were ahead of that at Drescher. Yeah. So I think that's a pretty like common sentiment with people that are actually like, you know, tuned in, I guess. Yeah, no, I would totally agree. So, you know, moving on again, you mentioned O-line. But what about wide receiver? What are some names that we should be watching out for? I know I always mess up his name. Is it, it's, is it, it's John Michi or Mechi? Oh, Mechi, John Mechi, yeah. Mechi. Yeah. Why do I want to say Michi? Is Michi, what is that from, Meg? That's an internet thing, is it not? I have no idea, but I actually do the same thing in my head. So um, <laughs> I have to figure out where that comes from. <laughs> it's it's definitely something because I know like my little ADHD brain is picking that up somewhere. Um, but you have John Mechie mocked in the second round for the Cowboys wide receiver out of Alabama. Um, talk to us about 
yeah, the type of, of talent that he brings to the table. That would be pretty interesting uh, having a guy like that come in. I don't want to say like he'd be replacing Amari, but again, like you lose an Alabama wide receiver and then you get another one. So, um, and I'm sure that you'd have Diggs having a good time with uh, another Bama boy on the field as well. So what's the word on, on, on our friend, John. So when I mocked him there, I'm looking at Dane because Dane's draft guy just came out. So I wanted to see yes. where Dane had him at. So I got to print so, okay. that. So, okay. I got him at 56 is where I had Mechie going. And of course there's going to be people that say like, Oh, he's not going to be there. He's not going to be there. Cause he's a wide receiver and he was great at Alabama. He got hurt in the uh, SEC championship game. So he didn't play in the national title game. I don't think they would have beat Georgia with him, but it would have been a lot different if he did play uh, it just a really well-rounded wide receiver. Certainly he's not Amari Cooper. I mean, that, that's, I mean, if he was Amari Cooper, even with the injury, uh, he would be going in the first round for sure. But okay. So I had him going to the Cowboys at 56. Dane's got him on his top 100 at 71. So I don't think that that's too far uh, out of, out of reach. And, and by the way, when I, uh, after I did this mock draft on the pro football network, like there's just certain guys that'll fall and you're just like, I don't even know if this is realistic. I'm not, I'm not studying the stuff like Dane is 365. So what I do is I do a copy paste and I just send the whole thing to Dane. I'll be like, does this at least look realistic? You know, like, and he'll tell me, he'll be like, yeah, this guy, maybe, maybe not six. You might want to bump him up to a spot and then bump this guy down or something. Cause I just want it ultimately like to be most the most realistic for fans and stuff. So he was signed off on the Mechie thing. He thought it, it, it was possible. The thing that's interesting about that is, so he's a guy, uh, Sky Moore is another wide receiver. Um, Great names. Yeah. There's just, there's, there's some guys that, you know, I think could kind of be there in that whole, like, you know, again, they're not picking high in the second round. They're picking, you know, middle to the back. So the second round intrigues me because I think there's a chance they could trade up. And, and the reason I say this is because trading up for 24, I don't know how much a better player you're going to get. I think a good player is going to follow them at 24. It's going to be relatively around there because when I say trade up, I don't, I don't think of the Cowboys trading up 10 spots. I, I'm saying trade up like, you know, three, four, five spots to get somebody that they really like. And in the second round, obviously you wouldn't have to invest as much. And in the second round, you get some guys falling. Like we obviously saw a couple of years ago with Trayvon Diggs, somebody the Cowboys considered in the first round, he falls to them, you know, at, in, in the fifties. And so all of a sudden, you know, if there's somebody like that, that you really like that is slipping, I could see the Cowboys being willing to trade up now. The last two times they've traded up in the second round, it's not as in recent. It was 2014, they traded up for Demarcus Lawrence. And then 2010, they traded up um, a few spots for, for Sean Lee. But I, the reason why I could see them possibly trading up is because, as you guys know, they haven't done anything that's really that noteworthy in free agency. And when Jerry Jones talks about the roster, like he did at the owners' meetings recently, he talks about how, well, yeah, but we don't have, we haven't had the draft yet. So he says like, we don't have a Micah Parsons yet. You know, they don't, they haven't, you know, they haven't had their CD lamb or Trayvon Diggs. They can add to the mix. So if you're feeling like that, then I see a team that, that has a chance to be aggressive in the draft. And why would you, if you're looking, if you're sitting there and you're Jerry Jones and you've said to reporters that you're looking for a Micah Parsons, you've told players um, that you're looking for another Micah Parsons, Sam Williams, the edge rusher at Ole Miss, who I have them going in the third round to the Cowboys in my mock draft. He said at his pro day that Jerry Jones told him that, he, that they're looking for another Micah Parsons, obviously not in the third round, but he's look, what he means when he says that he's looking for guys that are going to make immediate impact guys right. like Micah Parsons that, I mean, the guy won rookie of the year, uh, you know, and he was, and he was up for defensive player of the year. So immediate impact means that you're probably going to have to move up a little bit if you're, if you want to be aggressive, if the right guy's there. And so, in the second round, I mean, if, if John Mechie fell to them, I think they'd be, I think they'd be thrilled with that because he can do a little bit of everything. He's very well polished. 
like I said, he doesn't get hurt. He's not, he, he's not making it out of the first round. So that would be a great value there. And at a, at a major position of need and, and you put Mechie in there with Michael Gallup, CD lamb. I mean, that's, that's a really solid trio there. And then obviously you had James Washington too. So. Yeah. Um, give us a couple other guys that would just be worth reading up on. So if you guys just heard, uh, we're recording this on Thursday, April 7th and Dane Rugler, the God released his beast massive draft guide. I say this every year, John, you obviously have amazing content. Your content alone is worth it. But if, if for whatever reason you don't like keeping up with John's amazing coverage of the team, this draft guide is incredible. It is, it is worth every penny of subscribe to the athletic too. So make sure you guys get your hands on it. It is so worthwhile. So, um, what are some names I need to, I need to tab off and, and do a little highlighting in said beast draft book, my friend. Yeah. For, well, for sure. Uh, those wide receivers, like I said, Sky Moore, friend of ours, uh, Jeff Cavanaugh, obviously huge fan of Sky Moore. He tweets about him. I feel like five times a day. <laughs> um, the problem with Sky Moore is that he just, he falls perfectly in between where the Cowboys are picking at. I just, I, I think 24 is too rich for him. And I just don't think there's any way that he falls into the fifties. So, mm-hmm. uh, but that, I mean, that's an, that would be, that's an interesting player. Um, another one would be George Pickens. He's a bigger wide receiver out of Georgia. He's kind of in that same area, maybe with the closer to John Mechie possibly could fall there in the second round. Um, defensive tackle is interesting to me because under Jason Garrett, it just was not really a big time priority to spend big on defensive tackle. And the Cowboys do like their defensive tackles that they have on the roster right now. But when you see some of the 30 visits, it is interesting to see like some of the guys that they brought in. And maybe like, like a DeMarvin Leal from, from uh, Texas A&M. He's a guy, he's probably a second round pick type guy. Um, I think that's kind of interesting to kind of see where you can add another piece in there with, cause I don't know. I just, I, I don't know what I'm, the defensive tackle position is fine. You have, you have Oso Diggy Zua, you know, you, you have uh, Neville Gallimore in there, but I don't know what, you, I don't know how much you can count on Tristan Hill. I mean, he could have a good year. He might, yeah be okay here or there. So I don't hate the idea of, of possibly, you know, addressing defensive tackle there. I know another guy they, I saw that they brought in Jordan Davis, defensive tackle out of Georgia. He'd have to be the pick at 24, but that would just be wild because they haven't taken a defensive tackle since, you know, the early nineties in the first round. Um, so that one interests me. Um, the, uh, the edge rusher, the, the big one there, like I said, is that David Ojabu out of Michigan, because he just reminds me of the type of player that the Cowboys like, where it's like the reason he falls to the second round is because he's got the injury, but if he doesn't have the injury, you know, he's going in the first round. Now it's an Achilles. So you, you might not have him for the entire season, but that's the type of risk that the Cowboys will take for a guy that could be their a starting defensive end for them for the next four or five years. Um, so that's a name that, that really interests me. Um, were, any of, were any of the Cowboys doctors involved at all in his, in, in his you know process, if you will? You know, not to my knowledge, I don't, I don't know that to be the case. Um, you know, the, obviously that helped with the Jalen Smith thing. Cause it was a knee. Yeah. I'm not sure what the Achilles, like, you know, that's the thing with like the Cowboys. Um, it was funny. A PR member told me this one time and it's so true. Like you can tell the significance of the injury with the Cowboys by which team doctor goes out on the field. Like when, <laughs> you know, when they're out there, because that's like their specialty thing. Yeah. So like Dr. Cooper, who did Jalen Smith's his knee, I honestly don't know who is their, their team doctor that does the Achilles and things like that. But I, but no, I haven't heard anything. I think it'd be Fowler. Oh, could be. Yeah. That makes, that would make sense. Yeah. Yeah. Um, if you but see I the have, Cowboy hat go out, it's probably. Yeah. It's probably, yeah. It could be, you know, um, 
One other, another area too, though, that I wanted to mention, I didn't address it in the third round, but third round would be a spot that tight end really intrigues me because Dalton Schultz, he's got the franchise tag, but that doesn't guarantee that he's going to be here for more than one year. They have till July 15th to work out a long-term deal. And if they don't, if Dalton Schultz has the same year he had last year, he's going to free agency and he's going to get more money from another team. I mean, that's just what's going to happen. So they need to, the other thing is they lose Blake Jarwin. They need two really like solid starting type tight ends. And so third round makes a lot of sense to me. Uh, a guy that they brought in on a 30 visit, Jeremy Ruckert from Ohio state that, I mean, Dane's got him right now at 85 on his uh, top 100. So I think that that would be interesting. And Dane's got him as his third best tight end. Um, what kind of tight end? I think he, I think he's, if you're going to take a guy there, he's going to have to be able to do a little bit of everything, but you're, but you're going to need this guy to be, he's going to have to be some type of a threat in the red zone. It can't just be, he can't just be a blocking tight end. You wouldn't take him there. All the, most of these tight ends today in college football though, are going to be more pass catchers because that's just the style of game that's being played. But it's interesting too, because Dalton Schultz was mostly a blocker at Stanford and then he gets to the NFL, doesn't do much his first two years. And really what stood out for him the last couple of years have been his receiving more than anything. Uh, Greg uh, Dulicich, uh, from UCLA. He's Dane's tight end number two. I know Brian Broaddus loves him. Um, he might, he might be a good pick there too. I thought he'd be one of their 30 visitors. He wasn't. Um, but tight end is one of those that I've brought up before with Cowboys fans and they kind of roll their eyes because they think that, you know, franchise tags on Schultz, like they're good to go. It's like, that's not the way they look at it. They want another, another big time tight end. And they thought it was going to be Blake Jarwin, but he had the hip issue and they had to release him last month. And so yeah. that's another position that I think it's a little bit bigger of a need than people think. And so this, an article I'm putting up for tomorrow is kind of my, it's like four bold predictions for the Cowboys in the draft. And it's kind of things that I don't necessarily expect to happen, but you know, things that might not, you know, might, might be surprising to some and things like that. And, and one of the things I have in there is that the Cowboys don't use a defense, don't use one of their first three picks on a defensive player. Mm. And, that and that hasn't happened since 2004. I mean, they always try and mix it up, but they need so much help on offense from the offensive line, wide receiver, tight end those positions intrigue me a lot more than, like I said, I have Sam Williams there. Yeah. The, the old misty end in the third round, but I mean, we've watched the Cowboys. What do you think you're getting out of third round defensive end in year one? Like he could be something good in two or three years, but you're year one that he's going to come in there. You think he's going to get six, seven, eight sacks. I mean, it's possible, but it's not likely. Whereas you take a tight end there. I can see that tight end making an impact immediately. Meg, what was that you were driving? I'll never forget this. You were driving down 75 or something. And I remember like you texted or tweeted and someone on the radio was talking about Dalton Schultz. And you're like, you were like, come again. Like, what did you say? I have no idea. Oh, dude. It was like, it was like the way this, <laughs> this announcer was like describing Dalton. He was like, he was the answer or something. And you're like, I have never yeah. heard Dalton Schultz be described that way. And then he rolls out and has like this, you know, career season. And you're like, is are were we just sleeping on Dalton Schultz this entire time or was the dynamic of like the offense and play calling? Like what is happening here? I mean, I wasn't sleeping on him because I did draft him in my uh, championship winning fantasy football team, but oh, um, you know, <laughs> Meg, the GM. other than that, I'm not, I think they probably gave him some like on the money Schultz, like sort of name. Um, and he kind he did kind of prove to be that way, but yeah, no, that's definitely something you are going to want to look at. Now your, 
we were talking about um, like a, how you're just not going to see all these guys start, you know, their first year. Is that, and, you know, obviously there's two names on this uh, mock draft of John's that stood out to me. Um, surprising to no one, they are the LSU players. Um, but Ayo. you have you have Damone Clark on there. Is that kind of what your reasoning was a little bit? Just because, like, I feel like a lot of fans, at least, and obviously fans don't run the team, but um, are just kind of you know jaded from the giving Jalen a chance um, in the off season or not in a chance to recover for one season and then, and then come back and like, you know, kind of, kind of put it all on him for a little bit, but like he, Damone Clark isn't going to play in 2022. So is that kind of like, you think that that's a good gamble? You think that the, um, the front office would, you know, take that bet again? Yeah, I think so. And, and mainly because with the Jalen Smith thing, I don't think you, you'd hate the Jalen Smith pick if it was like in the third or fourth round, fifth round, it's because it was early in the second and then the expectations are just so high that you're going to get this star player. And then also with Jalen Smith, I mean, before he had the injury, I mean, Jalen Smith, I mean, Jalen Smith doesn't have an injury. Jalen Smith was supposed to be, you know, Micah Parsons. I mean, that's, that's, he was supposed to be a game changing type, do everything. He was going to be a top 10 pick, but because that injury would, you know, he fell, but yeah, I just felt like in there, he's, he was just such a productive player at LSU that you're just kind of like, okay, I know he had this back fusion surgery. It, it's not supposed to prevent him from playing. As long as it checks out with the doctors that, yeah, he's going to have to sit out this first year. You could get a real steal later in the draft for a guy that ends up being a really good player for you. And the Cowboys have just shown, you know, this track record of them willing to take gambles on that, whether it's players off the field, like a Randy Gregory situation or injury stuff, like, like Sean Lee, injury stuff like Jalen Smith. And, and this one kind of fits in there too, where it's just like, yeah, maybe, you know, you're not going to get anything year one, but where you took him at, you're like, yeah, but this guy, if he doesn't have that back issue, you know, this is a second or third round type pick with the way he's produced. So uh, that's kind of the reasoning on that one. Uh, it's kind of funny because when you guys were uh, just I talking about, <laughs> yeah, when you guys were talking about Schultz, I, I looked up, I wanted to look up that uh, Jeremy Ruckert that they had in on that 30 visit. And so uh, Lancer line for NFL.com, NFL Network. He's their uh, draft analyst. He's their Dane Brugler. Uh, but him and Dane are him and Dane. I think are like two of the best that there are for this draft stuff. And so, on his breakdowns of players, he always throws in one NFL comparison. And his NFL comparison for Jeremy Ruckert was Dalton Schultz. So I guess wow. that, that, that would that would fit. Oh, so. well, there you go. So they have a type. There, they have a type. <laughs> they have a type. Yeah. Wait, and while I'm on it, just um. I love that you have us, you know, picking a kicker. Yeah. You think that's something that they will possibly like buck up and do, or are we just going to, you know, go ham and invite a bunch of guys to kick balls? Special teams <laughs> topics. Kelsey automatically gets triggered. Don't let me put in timeout. Like Megan, take my phone on draft day. If they, if they yeah. get kicker. Because, 100%. Yeah. Like I can't be in social media timeout again. <laughs> Kelsey, you follow, you follow LSU and you follow, uh, Texas. And I think that they kicker have, the kicker. they have probably the two best kickers. So what if they get one of those guys, you know? So that's why I just, it's such a, it's such a need for them. You know I mean? For yeah. as much as people were ready to move on from Greg, the leg, at least gave you a veteran that you could have brought in some younger guys to compete with in camp. Now I feel like we're back in 2011 where you're going to have probably, they'll probably sign a veteran 
to bring in to compete in camp. But then it's kind of like in that year they did that and they had two or three veterans and then they brought in uh, Dan Bailey as an undrafted guy and he ended up winning the job and obviously that ended up being great for the next four or five years. And so, yeah, they could go that route certainly, but in this scenario, I had them in the sixth round going in that direction because of the fact of, then I think that it's a six round pick. If it doesn't work out, it's not the end of the world, but also maybe it gives you the best kicker out of this draft and they need a kicker. They need a kicker. That's more, that is more, more consistent than they were last year. Maybe that comes by working out some guys that are undrafted. Maybe somebody blows you away in training camp or whatever, but I feel like you can do that and draft a guy in the late rounds and just see who the best guy is. I just, I think the position's too valuable to kind of just sit there and be like, uh, well, you know, we'll just keep, we'll just keep kind of seeing what's on the streets and we'll grab somebody like make it a competition, bring in two or three young guys, make them compete throughout, you know, rookie mini camp, mini camp, OTAs into, into training camp. And, and even in, throughout the preseason to where you don't know who their kicker is going to be until, you know, a couple of days before week one, I have, I have no issues with that. Um, and, and you just know that they're not going to spend on a kicker. So that seemed like the best, the next best thing. If they had a seventh round pick, I would have done it there, but because they don't, I did it with the, with their last pick in the sixth round. Um, just watch this. Like, this is my future. I'm going to speak this into existence. Like we all know I get so triggered about special teams and then I'm going to end up like my child, I'm going to raise a kicker and I'm going to like full blown, like send him like to IMG Academy or something, or even like a a long (laughs) snapper. And I'm just going to be like that mom. And I'm going to have a kid in the league and it's going to be at the position that I've just hated the most. Like that's, what's going to happen. Also, I think it's a good strategy. Like, don't steal that from me, everyone. But I really do think that's going to be like my future for sure. Not a long snapper. I think a long snapper is a good option too. Like, I think like, but I think that there's maybe a little bit more likelihood that you get a concussion at that position because you know, like the. I, so I'm trying to think of that regard. But then Kelsey, I also have, have like a lot too of much, anxiety. You have about- way too much of a personality to raise a long snapper. You're <laughs> going to raise a punter, and in, and in the punter is going to turn in to be Pat McAfee. That's what your child's going to be. Yes! <laughs> Megan, buckle up. As one of my closest friends, you're on this ride too. Let's go. <laughs> Auntie <laughs> Megan will keep him level. I love it. I love it. Um, well, John, you're amazing. We've t- taken a lot of your time. Meg, do you have any... Uh, I'm actually surprised you didn't bring up Stingley, to be totally frank with you, because all of your LSU boys... Because speaking of, I, I swear I spent like half of the world's team episode last week talking about um, Tyron and uh, and Stingley. Just like that, that was such a tease. I'm sure you saw that, like you know, um, in the oh Lord, in the um, Cowboys zeitgeist. But like the fact that that's I I let that not even enter my brain and then like someone just put it out there yeah and then I got way too excited so (laughs) just bring me back down to earth well I mean believe me I don't think that corner is a major need but if Derek Stingley was to fall which I don't think will happen now after his pro day but if he was to and corners sometimes do fall um you'd have to seriously consider it if he was still there at 24 I, I just don't think that it would happen because he just, he's just too good of a, like the upside's too great for him to fall that far where I don't know. Corners are like wide receivers. Like the way the college game's changing, you need more wide receivers. You need more corners. It just kind of like, and then the impact on that is like, 
the linebackers are isn't as great of a need as there used to be. And just like there aren't the same need for, for running backs. So that's why you see teams kind of like passing them. Like you need three good corners nowadays. And so, yeah, believe me, if you tell me that there's three corners are going to be, you know, Trayvon Diggs and Derek Stingley. And, you know, if Calvin Joseph puts it all together, like, obviously that's outstanding. That's incredible. But I just, again, like, I feel like that, like a lot of these things would be more realistic at like 18, but 24, it just, the way that I've seen some of these mock drafts, it just, it doesn't seem like a lot of these guys are going to even fall that far. Like even some of the guys that they brought in, like I mentioned the Chris Alavi, the wide receiver out of Ohio state, like he'd be an interesting, like speed threat, take the top off the defense kind of guy that the Cowboys really haven't had, but like even him falling to 24, I don't, I don't know if that happens. That just seems like it's kind of asking a lot to, to, for them to fall that far. And I don't know if any of these players that would be taken at 17, 18, like we'll even throw Stingley in there. I don't know if that's enough for the Cowboys to want to trade up because you're going to have to give up a lot. If you're in the first round, you're moving from 24 to 18, you're going to have to give up a lot. And so, but yeah, I mean, if they were sitting there at like where they were last year, 10, even trading back to 12 and you have like a Derek Stingley there. Oh my God. Yeah. I, I could, I can see why you'd have interest in the position. Cause there was just so much value there. Um, I just, me personally, I just wish there was, I wish there was a little bit better edge rusher class. Cause it, you could really find a guy at 24 would be perfect to fit in to replace the loss of Randy Gregory. And I think you could, you'd be good to go and you could just keep rolling and, and find some offensive linemen, whether it is, you know, some guys that are still out there in free agency or later in the draft, but unfortunately that's not how it falls. So I know how it's going to be for fans. They'll be super excited about the wide receiver because it'll be a wide receiver. They know. And if it's an offensive lineman, it'll just be kind of like the Zach Martin pick where it's like, eh, it's kind of boring, but we think it's going to be good. Yeah. Drama show to everyone. Thank you so much, my friend. As always, you are a wealth of knowledge. We do appreciate you hanging out with us this fine evening. Um, let the good people know where to find you, what you're working on. I know you said you got some good articles coming out. And obviously, The Athletic has Dane Brugler's Beast. You got to make sure you get that. It is it is literally the Bible during the draft period. So, um, But John, what's the word? Yeah, so I mean... I'm going to have at least one or two articles, probably three up every week now between now and the draft, just on draft stuff. Me and Bob Sturm are doing conversation pieces where we have a conversation and just transcribe it ends up usually being about 2000, 2,500 words. And it's just different draft topics. Uh, and then there's all kinds of mock drafts, things like that too. And, and right now it's only a dollar a month to, to get a subscription to athletic. It's super cheap. You're not going to find that you're not gonna be able to beat that anywhere with any sports website. That's well, at least one that's behind a paywall. So uh, now is definitely a great time. I mean, it's like you said, it's worth it for Dane's beast just alone. I mean, he could easily just sell that thing at, at stores as a magazine for like, you know, 10, 12, 15 bucks a piece. I mean, there's that much knowledge in there and every year he does it, there's more and more stuff he puts into it. And I don't know. I just, I know Dane, he's a friend. I know the type of work he puts. In. I mean, he's literally putting it in you know, yeah. 365 days a year. It's not just uh, Oh, the NFL season's over time to do draft. Like it is for, you know, most of us. So yeah, that between basically what I'm getting at and the athletic between now and the end of April, it's just going to be all draft stuff. Um, because heck, I mean, let's be honest, the Cowboys really don't do enough in, in free agency to really move the needle. <laughs> so it's really all about the draft anyway. So, uh, yeah, that's going to just keep going. So yeah, definitely check out, uh, on the athletic multiple times per week. Cause we're going to constantly have new stuff up. All right, my friend. Well, you heard it from him. Follow John on Twitter. He is on Twitter and Instagram at John Machetta, no H. Uh, 
Meg, you can also follow Meg and I as well. I think we're pretty good followers too, especially if you like a lot of all caps talk and uh, screaming into the universe because, you know, someone has to do it. So it might as well be us. You can find me at Kelsey underscore Charles. I'm also on Instagram at Hey Kelsey Charles. And Megan is at Meg Murray with four R's on everything. Um, all right. So this is super important because, you know, especially this time of year as we go into the draft, it's just good to remind ourselves and ground ourselves in the things that matter the most. Um, which is, you know, something that Meg personally is going to leave us with. And that is Dallas forever, Philly for never. Birds are real unless they're Jayhawks. The end. (laughs) (laughs) Bye guys. to do's less time and an infinite number of tools to keep track of sometimes doing business has never felt harder but you don't need a miracle to hit your goals you can just use hubspot because their all-in-one customer platform can make growing your business infinitely easier imagine this high quality leads fast closing deals wildly happy customers and more benchmark breaking quarters it's not a miracle it's hubspot visit hubspot.com to get started today